You're listening to the Cheer Biz Podcast, where we dive into the business of running and owning your gym. Join us as we speak to industry experts, business gurus, and discuss how we can take your passion and turn it into profit. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today I am super excited. We've been trying to get it on the schedule to be sitting down with Justin Carrier, the vice president of Varsity Varsity All Around, correct? Or is it just Varsity All-Star? It's it's Varsity. Uh, yeah. Yes. Varsity. Okay. <laughs> the vice president of Varsity Spirit Brands uh, or Varsity Brands. So all of the things that that entails. Uh, we're very fortunate to have you here. Thank you for sitting down with us. Now, before we get too deep into all the questions that I have for you about Varsity and about the things that are going on, in case there are some people who are new to the cheer industry and have never heard of Justin Carrier, Vice President of Varsity, uh, they've never attended an NCA Nationals or anything like that. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this journey in cheerleading? Sure. Thank you, Dan, for having me on. Hey, everybody. I uh, started cheerleading my, well, I started as a mascot my junior year in high school. Truth be told, I didn't really want to be a mascot. I wanted to be a cheerleader, but I didn't know how to like come right out and do that. So I started out as a mascot. Halfway through football season that junior year, I just tore off my my ram head and started stunning with the girls without even really being a mascot anymore. So I was cheerleader my senior year. I joined All-Star, and this is like back in 1995, 94, 95. And so it was early, early, early days of All-Star. Like literally, we used to cheer during the routine. We stopped the music and did a cheer. And that was 94, 95 was the first or, or first, was the last year before we stopped doing a cheer in All-Star. So I did school in All-Star in high school and then in college. I cheered at North Texas. I uh, also coached at Cheer Athletics early, early days and did that and started working for NCA teaching summer camps. Worked NCA and Cheer Athletics for a while until 04 when we merged with Varsity and then kind of went down the all-star initiative path with Varsity. Stopped doing choreography, stopped coaching, stopped working at Cheer Athletics and worked with Varsity for the last... 19 years <laughs> in different capacities. Uh, I've been with NCA ever since, um, with NCA high school nationals and all-star nationals. So my job now, basically, I kind of have two segments. Um, I oversee varsity all-star when it comes to the experience side, uh, the scoring. I, I don't do scoring anymore, but I oversee the scoring department, the league, all the different programs that we have on the varsity all-star side. And then I still manage NCA on the competition front. And that includes NCA high school competitions and NCA all-star nationals and all that fun stuff. Amazing. Well, you're probably a busy guy. I want to get into that. Ironically, we came up a similar time frame. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't 95. I was high school, graduated in 2001. And I remember all-star, we're a little bit later out in Oregon. So we still did a cheer in our all-star routine in 2001. Yeah. It's just interesting to see that. And do an all-star routine or did you cheer over the music? No, we stopped. We, we stopped the music. Yeah. I'm pretty positive. We stopped the music, did a cheer and then restarted the music like a high school routine. Gotcha. And I think, I think we competed at USA nationals that year. That's what people on the West coast back then kind of did. 
And I actually was a mascot, but I went the reverse route. I was cheerleader, 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 mascot my last year in college because my back was just destroyed. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the Oregon duck for a year. Like I can manage that. If it wasn't for that sweaty head, I could have done it longer, but it was, um, it was, it was not fun. <laughs> and the mildew smell. Yes. I don't know if you had yes. that in yours, but yes. like you could never get it not to smell like mildew. Okay. So how long have you been the vice president of varsity? I think since 2011, 2010, so about 12 years. Okay. So what does a day in the life of the vice president of varsity look like? Well, since COVID, and this is most of us, I have meetings almost the entire day. I have teams meetings that start at about 9 a.m. and go to almost 5 p.m. And I usually uh, take breaks. If a meeting ends early, that's when I use the restroom. Or that's when I go grab food out of the refrigerator at our office. It depends. So, so I oversee scoring. So Stephanie Amarati and her teams that work on scoring and judging. And then I oversee experience. So we've got like the directors of all-star experience who are in each of the regions of the country. And that's like, uh, what are the awards that we order that we're going to pass out? What programs are we going to offer? What does all that look like? What are the giveaways? What does the coaches room look like? And then, and then I'm involved also with our end of season events. So like the summit. And so every day is different. Although, you know, like for all of us in the cheer world, it's kind of like a groundhog year cycle. Like it starts over and we kind of do the same thing all year long, but based on the, the timing of the season, my days can be, can vary greatly, but there are always lots of, lots of teams meetings. That is a, that is a guaranteed always teams meetings. Thanks COVID. <laughs> Thanks COVID. Okay. So lots of meetings and lots of, I imagine, decisions and discussions. And you mentioned you oversee scoring, but you're not, you're not like down in the weeds necessarily on scoring, but you oversee that process. Is that correct? Yeah. So when varsity, one of the things that kind of pushed me into the varsity all-star realm was at one point, and this is around 2009-ish, 2010, maybe, Varsity basically adopted NCA's scoring system because at that point, NCA was very much the leader, still is. But at that point, in terms of scoring, NCA scoring system, we all had different systems, but NCA system was the um, was was the leader in the industry. So, so I started and I brought Stephanie with me because she was working with me at NCA and we kind of started implementing this standardized scoring system across um, across the country. And back then, the brands, all the brands under Varsity that were recently acquired were very independent. And all of us, NCA included, felt like, well, we all felt like our scoring system was the best and our scoring system was what the brand was about. So, you know, you had All-Star Challenge that had this very uh, theatrical scoring system that they believed in. You had Cheer Sport that had a very uh, execution-heavy perfection of routine score sheet. You had UCA that had a very uh, a simple score sheet, a very general score sheet, didn't believe in a lot of rubric. And so we all had these scoring systems that we felt like, represented our brand and was the best by the way but 
around 2009, 2010, we decided what our customers really wanted was a more consistent experience. And so we started kind of bringing, bringing the groups together. And while we all had our own judging pool at the time, we tried to start implementing the same score sheet so that you guys wouldn't be as frustrated week in and week out as we had different experiences. Yeah. You know, I, I was coaching, started coaching in 2002 and right into call right in college. And I can remember that was back in the day when you would change your routine from weekend to weekend because, well, this competition required these stunts and this competition required this many jumps. And you had to, there were all these like random requirements. It was really complicated. And then I've, so I've, I've seen that evolution. It was really bad. It was really bad on the safety rules side until the U.S. I remember when I coached at Cheer Athletics, we won NCA in the senior division, senior prep, whatever division it was. And then the next weekend we went to WSF in Oklahoma and my team got disqualified because they did uh, dive rolls, which, which apparently according to WSF at the time, were unsafe and illegal. So I felt the pain too. I remember that. And I remember when USASF started and I was like, yes, I finally like have a, this is what I'm allowed to do and not allowed to do. It was uh, a nice experience. I still got legalities because, oh, yeah. you know, that's like, because <laughs> you got to push the envelope. But yeah, so it was, I, I can appreciate that whole process. Now, there's a lot of coaches who don't didn't grow come up in that area. They're not as young as we are. I mean, so they they don't remember those days. They don't know anything other than a world where there's maybe two or three different score sheets for a couple different brands and everything in varsity being under a unified score sheet. Talk me through now, what does the process look like? One of the big complaints is, you know, there's it changes every year. The score sheet changes every year. And can you tell me kind of what the process looks like in making those changes? What are some of the things you evaluate? And is it true that varsity just hates all the small gyms? Because that's what I see on ASGA and, and other comments is you guys, you just hate the small gyms because you make the score sheet to punish us. For what it's worth, the small gyms think we favor the large gyms and the large gyms think we favor the other large gyms and everybody feels like they are at a disadvantage. So just so you don't feel alone, everybody exactly. thinks that we hate everybody. So you're in good company. So <laughs> what uh, the process, first of all, I will, I will absolutely acknowledge and own that the system is not perfect, nor has it ever been, nor will it ever be. But the cycle that we've gotten into and that we've gotten into since the beginning of time is we put out a scoring system. Coaches complain that they don't have enough information. Tell me exactly what I have to do to score higher. I, you, you gave me a 0.7. I think I deserve to get a 0.8. So tell me what I need to do or to max out. Tell me what I need to do to get a perfect score. And that's what I'll do. And so every year, every year, it's a cycle of we need coaches say we need more information. This isn't fair. Tell us what we need to do. And so then the next year we provide more information. We put more detail into what you need to do. 
And then the response is, well, that's ridiculous. I can't believe you expect me to do all these things to get the perfect score. And we say, well, no, we didn't tell you that you had to do everything. You just wanted to know what the highest scoring teams did to get the perfect score. This is what it is. It's up to you if you want to do that. Well, that's unsafe if you expect me to do all those things. And so we give more information and um, it works against us because then programs feel like they have to do all those things and then they can't compete unless they do all those things. So they build a smaller team to make sure that they've got the full team doing those skills. They, they cut kids, they get smaller. And then, and then you guys, um, and I say you guys in, in general, the industry comes back and says like, we can't, we can't function with these super small teams. You got to give us some wiggle room. So what we've, what we've tried to do over the years is the pendulum definitely swung too far in the area of we were too specific and the routine requirements were too difficult. Like every single athlete needs to jump. Every single athlete needs to tumble. Do these basket tosses without front spots to get the maximum score. Jump in a circle before you do your toe back in order. I mean, it, you know, it, it was obviously ridiculous and so now the pendulum is swinging back and don't need to have everybody tumble don't need to have everybody stunned and so it's it's basically about finding this balance of how you can provide enough information that a coach feels like they can be successful and train successfully while leaving it open-ended enough for people to be able to shine in the categories that they can shine at and so where we are now, I, I do believe we're getting our goal in the next year is to release a system that does not change for two seasons. I do feel like our goal was to make very minor changes last year and to the actual rubric we did. But I know because of the uh, building stunt quantity chart that had huge ramifications that felt like it was a big year of changes. Admittedly, it was given, given those changes, but our goal this next year is to get the rubric and the score sheet stable to where we're not chasing our tails. It was a little awkward this year. You know, we, um, we lined up the safety rules between USASF and IASF, which changed what was legal and allowed at different levels. So some of it was unavoidable, but our hope, our goal is that when our system comes out for the 24, 25 season, that, that there's little to no adjustments mentally that need to be made on y'all's end. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And so you guys do listen to feedback, though, when when a score sheet is there, there is kind of a process of, hey, we're looking at making adjustments. Give us yes thoughts on these things. Yes. Does it ever feel like you ask for feedback, get it, enact it, and then the moment you release it, everyone who didn't give you feedback is now mad? Absolutely. That is, that's absolutely what happens on the scoring front. And it's what happens on the, the, I know on the USASF front with safety rules, you know, the, um, that age grid was voted in by the members, but it wasn't until it, it was official that the, the members got 
really upset about it. So yes, that's what happens all the time. And it's gotten to the point, not it's gotten to the point to where we just expected. There were a couple of years that like we, we got so much pushback. We're like, okay, kind of like, you know, Delta did with their sky miles recently. Like, okay, we went too far and the, the house <laughs> is on fire. We've gotten better about not reacting too quickly to that feedback. Cause there's always going to be feedback. Every, everybody, everybody has an opinion and everybody, everybody should have an opinion, but uh, sometimes you have to, uh, do what you steer things for what you hope is the greater good as opposed to reacting or responding to every individual customer, which I'm sure you feel on your end when you're dealing with your clients at your program. I do. And honestly, I have always, I've always, I stand back from the crowd in some of these things. I I like to observe. I have my podcast to provide my commentary on things. And so I'm not always on Facebook chiming in with my opinion. I offer it when it's asked for, and then I offer it in my podcast. But I, I do find it reminiscent of gym owners oftentimes act like the parents, gym owners and coaches act like the parents they don't like towards USASF and varsity. Not all, not everyone, but I, I do see times where it's like, if the way you're talking on social media about varsity or USASF, if a parent in your gym was doing that, you'd be posting it on ASGA saying, how can this person say that? And everyone would be like, yeah, kick them out, get rid of them. And which I disagree with. Don't do that. That's have conversations. It's good. I think we need to hold ourselves to the same standard. We want our parents to behave towards us. And again, uh, although varsity is not a, a small gym, they're not a small company. 99% of the time you're talking to another human being who is in this trying to provide a service. I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't wake up in the morning and sip your coffee and write down a list of ways you can screw us all over, right? No, not at all, not at all, not at all. That ASJ phenomenon, I used to be, I, I used to be very sucked in to that. I'm not even, I'm not, I went through years where I was like sucked in and on there all the time and obsessed would obsess about things that were said about me or about our company. Uh, and then I let, and then I started leaving, then I muted it for a while. And then I started leaving for a while and just taking a break and then like asking to join back in so I could, I could read again, but I haven't, I haven't been in there in over a year now. And you know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty nice. Like the customers, uh, I have plenty of great relationships. And if, if I'm making a mistake or if varsity's missing the mark on something, I'm going to hear about it directly from people who, um, who I have a mutual respect with and will reach out. And, and those are great productive conversations. I don't need, I don't need to get online and, and, and read some of the uh, awful things that, that people have to say, especially when they're not solution based. You, you can be vocal sometimes, but you Dan, usually have a solution uh, to go along with it. That's my goal, right? Like, and I'll, I'll ask my own staff. I'm vocal about my own issues too, right? Like I'm going to be vocal about stuff in our gym and things we need to do better. So we talked a little bit about score sheet. You mentioned this year, some numbers changes. And there is um, an assertion made sometimes that the intention was to get teams to cut off taking new athletes and that it incentivized making your teams really small. What was if you can remember in those discussions, what was the goal of kind of setting those expectations of stunt groups this year? Well, our, our goal was the exact opposite of that. Our goal was to give leeway uh, to motivate 
coaches to fill teams, to find athletes to be on the teams, to reduce the tumbling requirement, increase the stunt requirement because you can find more likely to find kids off the street and teach them how to stunt than you are to tumble. It's always Again, whenever you build a rubric that is specific, which is what we've evolved to, once you find that number and that threshold, the risk you always have is teams are going to rush around that threshold to try to be as competitive as possible. You have that in the in the building rubric in particular. You have that in in D2 size. You know, whenever when the D2 size is 125 athletes, there are a lot of programs that magically have 124 athletes. So while the the philosophy behind having D2 is to foster growth and to and to create opportunity, a lot of times for some gyms it stifles growth because they don't want to have 126 athletes. So you see this group that kind of gravitate towards the 124, 123 mark. And same thing can be said for, for building. Wherever you set that benchmark or that threshold, you're going to see it cut off growth for some and incentivize growth for others. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, full transparency, I, I saw the numbers and I was like, woohoo, I, th- I like this because um, I like that incentive. I, I'm a big fan of larger teams. I think larger teams are better for the industry. I think from a business perspective, they're better for the gyms. Now, I know that there are a large number of gyms that are 50 athletes or less. And so they're going, I don't know how to make a larger team. I've got eight kids that are level one and six kids that are level two. And, and that is a challenging position to be in. But again, when you're making decisions for the whole industry, it's, it's gotta be challenging. Yeah. And there are, I know it took some coaches a while to figure it out, but there are ways with the scoring system and what's, what's allowed and what's rewarded. There are ways to work around some of those requirements that I'm, I'm seeing that teams have figured out. So hopefully it hasn't been as daunting of a task as what people felt when the system first came out in April, but yeah, you're right. It's um, you're just not going to make everyone happy, but our goal is to get people excited and motivated to build their teams. And if you're listening to this, my little tip, there is an elite dismount in every level. So if you're looking for your max elite, you don't actually have to hit anything. You actually have to throw something and catch, catch it. it down here <laughs> and catch it safely. <laughs> so I have a question that is a me question. I talked about it with Jason Larkins a little bit on my last chat with him. And can you tell me what the goal of 2575 is and why it's day one is 25? Well, the goal of 2575 is to make day two count the most so that you can, as a parent, sit in the stands, watch finals and have a pretty general idea of how the results are going to fall. But in order for day one to be worth anything, because there was one year, I couldn't tell you the year, there was one year where day one was worth zero, except for the uh, seating. For day two, this is at NCAA Nationals, by the way, and then day two was worth 100%. The coaches after that year said there was no skin in the game 
for day one. And it felt like practice for the athletes that that incentive of performing for your, for the performance order for day two wasn't enough. And so our hope was that day one being worth 25% would be enough incentive for teams to want to do well, that it would order the teams appropriately that day two would count the most and, and, make everybody feel like there was pressure on the line and, and that how you did on day two generally uh, spoke to the results the most. When you do 50-50, and, and I don't know if that's what you were used to that you, that you prefer or that you're comparing it to. I'm a fan of 50-50, especially on the new score sheet. My reason being, historically, with the older score sheet before we started to get into kind of this rubric base, big swings were rare. You wouldn't see more than a point, point and a half, unless someone really train wrecked. Now, a six point swing between day one and day two can absolutely happen. And when it's 25-75, that six, you could have a six point lead. And now that's only 25% of your score. So it's really one building fall and a little execution error, error away from the team that you were beating by six points on day one. So... I saw that last year a few times and I was like, I really hate this. <laughs> I kind of liked the 20 floating 25. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a better version because for me, it was like, well, why does one day matter more than the other? So from a coach's perspective, that was kind of how I felt about it. But I, I never really had the opportunity to ask what the intention was. And I, it does make sense that you're really able to watch the whole division and you should be able to tell on day two, who's going to win. Yeah. And hopefully from a judge's perspective, hopefully they're that much more accurate on day two and what happens on day two after a day one of scoring should be the, the most accurate that you can be. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. You would just see, we've seen massive swings, right? Cause you have a team that maybe they miss a skill. So they don't get one of their drivers or maybe they don't even hit the stunt difficulty range. So they lost 0.8 on stunts cause they had a stunt drop and miss skills. And then they get that 0.8 the next day. So really that's 1.6 yeah, that's going to go on their score. Yeah. And so, boom, you see these massive like increases and drops. And so if you have a, a mediocre day two and someone has a mediocre day one and a stellar day two, you're going to lose to that team that had the stellar day two. So one of the big complaints you hear, and I've actually heard other podcasts on it, is judges having bias, perceived bias, et cetera. How do you, how does varsity train their judges to avoid that? Well, a few things have happened. One, we've, we've taken out a lot of subjectivity, which is, which is great and problematic. And I, I can hit on why that is in a second. But the other thing that we've stopped doing is we used to, when we used to use examples for explaining things to judges, we would use programs and we would use programs and the examples to give the judge a visual of who we're dealing with. And then we realized that we may have been reinforcing some bias by saying, Oh, this program is really good at pyramids. So we're going to talk about their pyramid. So now we don't refer, we try not to refer to programs at all uh, when talking to judges. And in our video training, we try to keep the, we try to use programs that you can't, you can't tell who they are uh, by watching the video. There, there's always judges will always be accused of bias. I don't know. If there's any way around that. Even some of the most level head, like 
I, I've trained judges and worked with judges for years. I will, I will die on the sword that judges do their best to not, to not show any bias. But even like with the year that I coached team USA at the world championship, um, there was a break and I looked up at the judging panel and I started to contrive the story about why they were going to, why they were going to underscore my team to not win. And I was looking at the judges trying to figure out which judge was going to do it. And as I'm like developing this like story in my head, I caught myself and I thought, Oh my gosh, I've turned into <laughs> one of the coaches <laughs> that, that I laugh at. And I'm, and because I cared so much about my team, it's so personal to me. I assume it is just as personal to the people scoring. And that's, that's just not the case. That's just not the case. So on the scoring side, we've, we've taken out as a, a lot of subjectivity as possible to avoid even the perception of bias. But what happens when you do that, what you, what happens when you take out that subjectivity is you sometimes you take away the judge's opportunity to use their common sense and separate the teams the way they deserve to be separated. Sometimes you can look at two teams and you can be like, this team is clearly better than this team. But from a judge's perspective, we've gotten to a point that there's no opportunity to separate those two teams because we have to go by the rubric. It's objective. And so those two teams are going to get the same score simply by existing when as a, as a human being or as a subject matter expert, you can tell that one team is better than the other. So how are you balancing that as varsity how do you create a score sheet that is easy for people to understand and know what they need to do to score well, but leave room for the sport to continue to evolve and for the actual best team to be the winner? Well, and I would argue that's part of why we've made changes every year is we want to keep trying to find that sweet spot where we can do that, but it's hard, but it's hard. And so, and that's why you see scores that are so close is because we've given everybody the opportunity to get the same exact score to max out, if you will. So it, it will probably be a, a never ending journey. Coaches want justification. They want an explanation. And a lot of times, even the comments on the score sheet don't, they, they want, they don't just want to know why they scored lower. They want to know exactly what they need to do in order to get the highest score. And I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to get to that nirvana that sweet spot where where everybody's going to be happy with the results random question that i just just popped up it's a, uh -oh. it's a theory that i've had <laughs> and you're going to say no no or no we've never considered this have you ever considered i know i'm talking about opening pandora's box allowing coaches to challenge execution but in order to challenge execution, like at Worlds, when you say, I'm going to challenge this, I'm you're going to watch my whole routine. And if you, if you think anything should be lowered, you'll lower it. But I firmly believe that this was not a widespread issue by definition of the rubric. It was one athlete who tumbled off time. Mm -hmm. You took off 0.3 for execution. This is an error. Because a point, if a difference between 0.1 and 0.3, we're talking four tenths after the it's doubled. So... Have we, have you guys ever thought about something like that? Cause I know as a coach, that's like, I can't challenge anything that matters because yes. I get my difficulty ranges. That's all now rubric and everything else that's variable. I can't even challenge or have looked at. So it, it creates kind of a weird. Yes. I mean, the issue becomes 
I mean, at some point, for better or for worse, the judges have to be given an opportunity to judge and score you as they see the routine. If it gets to a point to where a coach just disagrees with every score and if they were true legitimate challenges, Dan, I think that would be one thing, but, but that system already gets abused. So, you know, strategically, I'm just going to go challenge everything and see what sticks. We just can't get in a situation evolved to a place to where like the judges score the routine and then the coach insists on every single category being rescored because at some point if if we're not going to trust the opinion or the input of the judges up on the stand when they watch the routine live then then what's the point of even having judges and we should just go back and video review just turn it you know go back to virtual years and just turn in videos and we'll just watch it over and over and and give you a score that's fair yeah I'd- I totally understand. And I, I hear you, right. I've been at the AccuScore and I've been like, why are you challenging this? Like, you know, oh, yeah. the, they fill out, they literally are challenging every category. And it's like, or the judges who like before the score sheet comes out, they just go get in line <laughs> and have somebody else bring them the score sheet. So by the time they get the score sheet, they're at the front of the line. Yeah, it happens. I've done that with, with safeties. I'm like, <laughs> I think they're going to call that as a violation. Or I've done it with signs. I know my signs are going to get called, so I'm just going to go pre-fill out the form (laughs) because not everyone does what NCA does and has you pre-submit all those things. And so I've done things like that before, but okay, that answers the question. It's an efficient use of time, I guess. (laughs) Right. I'm just trying to be expedient. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that was my only hope of like, hey, I'm going to sign this form that says you're going to look at everything. So I got to really believe in this challenge because you're then going to go deduct, like you could lower my execution score in stunts and other things because you're going to look at the whole routine. And if you see something else, you go, oh, you didn't get ding there. I'm going to. And we have done that. We've done that with deductions. Like if you challenge a deduction and we find something, or, you know, sometimes they'll write down, the, the judge will write down athlete fall, but it was really a stunt fall. And then you come and argue your athlete fall and you're like, oh, you're right. The stunt behind that athlete is what actually fell. And so we've tried that before. You know, we've also talked about a financial challenge, like, you know, pay $50, pay $500 and uh, you have the right to challenge. And then if you are right, you get the money back. And if you're wrong, we keep the money. But then that just, I mean, then it just becomes this huge, uh, we're just getting so far away from what live sports is supposed to be that it becomes a little ridiculous. Maybe we can get those flags like they have in football. Like I get to throw my red. Each gym gets two red flags. They could throw it and challenge whatever they want. Yeah, well, we talked. We talked about that for behavior as well. You know, I- <laughs> if you give that to your AccuScore official, they're just going to be throwing them up constantly. I mean, some people get results with it. I'm a, I'm a, you get more flies with honey kind of person, generally speaking. I've, I've had some heated moments at AccuScore where I've really disagreed, but you really disagree. <laughs> well, there's like, there's like, I disagree with you, but I like, you're right. Or I can totally understand. And there's been situations where I'm like that. Yeah. I, we're not, ne- we're never going to see it eye to eye. So that's what I mean by like, I tr- really disagree. Like, that wasn't that thing. One year I didn't get credit for uh, a tick being released, a low to high tick being released. And I'm like, they literally released. And they were like, well, we can't see it on the video. And I'm like, it's grainy. Like, And so the next day we turned them to the side so they could see the back spots let go. I'm like, you punished me because they were tall and they had their arms up with correct technique to catch the foot on a low to high tick. Like, 
that was one of like that was a memory I have of being like I really disagreed with you. It wasn't you, but with the with the AccuScore official. Gotcha. Well, on behalf of whatever event you were at, I apologize. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I actually ran into the AccuScore judge this year at Worlds, and he was like, "Do you remember me?" <laughs> And I was like, yes. And he goes, I, I felt so bad that we didn't give you those points. I was so glad that you changed it the next day. And it, like, we were able to give you those points. It was a great conversation. Like at the end of the day, it's just cheerleading. Like, I know we, we pour our hearts and souls into it, but. And, it's and nobody's, and no, uh, another reminder is that nobody's out to get you either. Like it, um, it, there are plenty of situations where I wish we could have called things a different way, but they weren't called a different way. And and I always try to realize like the, the, the good intention in everybody that I'm dealing with everybody, everybody, and this is in life, not just in cheerleading, but everybody's doing the best job they can. <laughs> everybody's trying really hard to do the best job they can. And hopefully that's enough in certain situations. So we've talked a lot about scoring, but you also oversee NCA. And NCA Nationals has been a bit of a hot topic. So tell me, <laughs> what is next for NCA Nationals now that the convention center is getting remodeled? Well, I'll tell you what's not happening is uh, we are not leaving Dallas. I did see some, I saw some tweets about that, some breaking news, and I received plenty of phone calls about it. We are, well, it is customary for most citywide events to every five years send out a uh, RFP to find out what cities are interested in hosting the event. We did that with NCA NDA College Nationals recently, and we're in that process with NCA All-Star and High School Nationals in Dallas. We did it with Daytona and we did it with Dallas. So that happens every five years regardless. Our goal is to always stay in the city. Now, that RFP came up, this five-year cycle came up at the same time that the city uh, city announced that we were renovating the convention center. So it looked like uh, they're renovating the convention center and we were homeless. So now we're going to go look for a new home. We are, we are putting out bids. Uh, we are getting bids from different cities, but it is my hope that when it's all said and done that Dallas, I, I, I don't see it ever being anywhere but Dallas. So the good news about the renovations is they are building and demolishing at the same time. So we will never be homeless. Assuming that Dallas earns the bid and we stay where we are, we will never be homeless and we'll, we'll always have a home. It was quite the sensation on social media for um, a few days at least, but I don't think we're going anywhere. I believe we will be staying in Dallas. I love to hear that. It's an iconic competition. It's kind of like cheer sport in Atlanta. Dallas has been so good to us too. And they've, they've grown really at the same rate that we have. And so um, I'm excited about it too. I have no plans of going anywhere else. So hopefully, hopefully the events won't also. So tell me what is happening with registration this year, because it is harder to get registered for an event. And we're not talking just NCA than it is sometimes to get Taylor Swift tickets. Like you have to be online, ready to go, ready to submit the moment it releases. What's happening? It's been a phenomenal, it's been really crazy, you know, and again, going back to social media, you would have thought based on um, a vocal minority that the sky was falling and that nobody was coming back to our events to the point that 
not that I believed it, but I was uh, sincerely worried. But what's what's been really, really cool, we've been very blessed, especially this year. Enrollment registrations have been uh, on a huge upswing uh, since COVID. And it's been um, we've been really blessed. And I the NCA registration rally has always, you know, we've always for since 2012 ish, we've had to like shut down registration. And as you know, the first time it like took five days to shut down. And then the next time it took four days and then it was two days. And then we got to last year where it took four hours, which had never, ever happened before. And so then we decided like, you know what, we, we have other events that are approaching capacity. We're going to open them up in a similar manner. And just to make sure that, that people have the same opportunity to register. And then this past year, NCA, I mean, it, it not only did it shut down in 24 minutes, but in the first three minutes of that, we had technical difficulties. So really it was probably in about 21 minutes and people signed up faster than the system could manage. And so I think now that starting with the phenomenon of NCA, people are starting to get worried that they're not going to get a spot if they don't register right away. And so that has trickled over. Cheer Sport is up by like 400 teams this year. Jam Fest is basically sold out. Spirit of Hope is basically sold out. USA All-Star Nationals is bigger than ever. ACA is about slow. I mean, it's been, um, we've been really, really lucky uh, to have so many teams interested. Our registration software has been able to handle it and manage it. What we are still perfecting is the housing side. And what that, that was my next question. I know, I know. I know where you're <laughs> headed. So I just thought I would open the door and walk through okay. it before you push okay. me through it. So okay. I will address housing. First of all, there are generally enough rooms in the city. What happens is a Dan, if you Dan, your program's coming to an event and you need, you know that you need 50 rooms, but you need different price points for your parents. And so you need 50 rooms, but you're trying to make your parents happy. So you're going to grab 30 high end rooms, 30 low end rooms and 30 rooms in the middle. So you need 50 rooms, but you've got to get 90 in order to service your clients. Well, if everybody who needs 50 rooms grabs 90, then there's no rooms. So what happens is you send out your 90 rooms to your parents. They reserve 50 of them. At some point, you're going to give those 40 extra rooms back. When everybody gives back those 40 rooms, then there's rooms for everybody. But what's happening on, on when registration, even in the waves, we're doing, you know, we're doing waves for some of the bigger ones. What happens is everybody grabs the rooms at once. So there's no rooms available. And so everybody freaks out because everybody's hoarding rooms because they want to make sure that they have enough. Now, most people are getting rooms, um, not quickly, but most people are getting rooms. And then when the, inv the inventory keeps replenishing. And so while it is a scary while it can be a, a scary statement to hear, in most cases, it's if you will just wait, the rooms that you want will become available. But I do think what's what's gone are the ideas that you can bring your 100 athletes to an event and all get to stay at the same hotel right next to the convention center because that's where you stayed before. Like the events have just gotten so big that it's, it's almost impossible to do that. But the process has gotten better. I know for some people, the, like the weight certainly wasn't better. The process has gotten better and it's gotten more refined. And with our housing partners, they've done a better job at managing the inventory. It just takes more time.
And I, I say all that, and I know you're probably thinking of this, like this, this situation in your head, which totally doesn't align with what I just explained. There's just, there are outlier situations, but in my opinion, that is the one area where, where we've been successful and we've have made a lot of customers happy, but it's still what needs some more work. Yeah. I would, I would say that it is a friction point for owners and I've been vocal on the podcast before. So people know that I attend pretty much all varsity events. Um, and I've been a supporter. I, I believe you get what you pay for in a lot of circumstances. Not that there aren't good IEPs out there, but you, I know what I'm getting when it comes to varsity. When I go to an event, I know what I'm going to get out of it. I appreciate that. What I don't like is the housing process, but correct me if I'm wrong. That is not, that's not truly varsity. You've, it's a partner that you that works directly with. Yeah, yes, we TTS is our partner that that manages housing. We do have two representatives on varsity payroll that represent varsity and work with the housing company. But yes, anything you love about housing is because of varsity. Anything that you don't love <laughs> is TTS's fault. I'm kidding. That's I'm the kidding. that's the smart way to do it. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's the that was tongue in cheek. Everyone I'm just kidding. But we are trying to perfect it. It is it is getting better. What we want, and you said it just now, but we want we want doing business with us to be so easy and so um, so simple for a for a gym owner that it just you just save time and money money and energy and and heartache by coming to varsity events. And in a lot of ways, that is the case. But I, I do appreciate and acknowledge that the housing piece is this stress on your life that that you don't want to have to deal with. You don't want to have to defend to your parents. You don't you don't want to have to work with that. And that's that's the area where I think there's the most opportunity for us to do better and and be better. Yeah, that's the, the what you hit the nail on the head there. It's the defending of the parents. That's the hardest part because that it hits us, right? Parents come to us and they're mad. They're out of hotels. Like, what are you doing about it? And it's like, I have, you want to talk about people who don't have any control. I have as much control as you do, except I have one other person's email who also doesn't have control who can right. send it to the next person. So it's, that is the one thing that I know a lot of gym owners would appreciate not having to deal with on that aspect of it. It reflects on you. If they're if they're waiting on hold for a room, they they think that you did something wrong in the way that you registered or whatnot. And we've we've seen that on the I've, I felt that pain, especially with NCA All Star All Star Nationals registration. When we cut it off at twenty five minutes, if I mean if you registered ten minutes later, if you registered at eleven thirty five a.m. and you didn't get in. You got to go back to your parents and their first thought is, well, you didn't do your job right to get us registered in time, which you can't fault anybody for waiting till 1135 AM to try to register. But it, I, I understand it reflects on you guys when you have issues. They go, oh, you, you didn't get us the information yeah. fast enough. And it's like, well, I did, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a couple other questions. I, I truly appreciate your time. I know you're very busy talking about summit. So Summit is grown. It's huge now. I mean, you've got D1, D2, Youth Summit. Rec Summit. Rec Summit. Man summit. Okay. All the, the summits. Regional Summit. When are you going to have a coach's US summit? U.S. Finals. The Celebration. 
If I'm, I'm going to plug all of our offerings right now uh, before you <laughs> say whatever you're about to say about the summit. I'm, I'm actually not saying anything negative. I was just curious if there's anything new coming in regards to bids. I know there was there is something kind of happening with the league. Yes. And like, yes, you can use your league points to qualify for bids. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? Yes. So, well, a few things. One, you know, the, the youth summit was new last year. We had a brand new bid distribution for youth summit. It, we figured out early on that it was significantly harder to get a youth summit bid than it was to get a regular summit bid. And we didn't need to have that inequity. So we made things better. And what, what we're using the leaf for, which I think, well, long-term, I think there is opportunity with this. And I'll, I'll say that in a second, but in the short term, now that we have the league, which can truly, truly reflects how successful your season is, as opposed to how successful you were at a single event, we have this catch-all that if you don't have a bid by, I think the date is April 9th off the top of my head, we will look at your rankings. And if you are in the top 25 and you're in the leaderboard, then you will automatically have an at-large bid to the summit, the D2 summit or the youth summit. And our hope is, cause you know, there's always those teams that like, they're great, but so is another team in their backyard and they keep getting second behind this other team. And that other team, they do, they just, by the luck of the draw, they have, they have a really good team, very successful year, but we're always the bridesmaid and not the bride when it came to earning the bid at the event. We've, we've always had those situations. This league leaderboard should solve that. And if we use that leaderboard as the catch all that if you finish, if you had a successful season and you've ended up in the top 25, you're going to end the season with a bid. So you don't have to be as consumed with chasing that bid all year long. Yep. And you can actually, which I, I actually had talked to a couple people about this last year because I could see the writing on the wall. It was like, it looks like we're doing something here and suggest I had a conversation at a couple different events, American events, discussing it with them. And I said, look, you know, this would be great because you can have a team. Technically, a team can burn four bids getting to summit. Like they could go to an event and get a wild card. Then they can, well, I guess I can't, not four. You can get three. You could get like an at-large, you could get a partial, then you can get a paid and all those bids you didn't use along the way get flushed. So we'll see teams get a partial paid bid at like the first event. Well, those teams are pretty dialed and they oftentimes upgrade to a paid. Now that partial just gone. So it's, and or maybe you're just in that division where you're unlucky and you go to an event where there's one 4.2 team that isn't very good, they get that that automatic bid. You should have maybe gotten a bid, but because a level two team got the paid bid and then the way the distribution works, you should have gotten at large, but it just didn't work out that way. So I think it's a it's a step in the right direction to try and help people. What I love about that leaderboard and, and the league in general is you know, for all the right reasons, like the summit became so important so fast that like people's people's uh, um, satisfaction with the whole year rested on whether or not they got the bid. And if they got the bid, how well they did at that one competition on that one day, not even the entire, I mean, prelims, if you're out, yeah, your season's it. over and if just some competitive athletes, they feel like that that's the whole season. The, the leaderboard, the league and the leaderboard is great at like, tracking your entire season like you can you can get second all year long and win the league because you got second at 
all these amazing events where those point totals were worth more than a smaller event. So I'm, I'm hoping that helps shift the uh, focus a little bit and the kind of the measurement metrics for success and help let people feel like that, that everything doesn't ride on a single two and a half minute performance. So I've, I've noticed there are more non varsity events offering summit bids. Is that something that we could expect to possibly see more of? Most USASF event producers we've invited to offer bids to the summit. It's an it's it's an exciting opportunity, a one for us to get to work with the other event producers. A lot of them, some of them have other very viable, awesome end of season events, but have been wanting to be on that summit train. And so you'll see a lot of event producers that are USASF. That's our only requirement, um, our only threshold, I think, for for working with other event producers is that they need to be part of the USASF and follow the same safety sanctioning standards that we do. But yeah, um, hopefully there are a lot more opportunities and a lot, a lot, a lot, a, a different database of teams will hopefully get exposed to the summit that haven't been before. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's really exciting. I've seen more and more of it and wasn't sure exactly kind of how that process works. So that's interesting information. So my last question about the summit is it's really expensive. <laughs> and especially I'm a West Coast gym. Yes. So on top of we, we generally have to get there a day earlier than everybody else because our kids are changing three hours. And so we got to get there a little bit earlier, get settled. It takes a it's a six hour flight there. How do you make it worth it for gyms to continue to go, like spend all that money while also keeping it a prestigious event, not making it so just everyone and their mom gets to go? Like what considerations or what things are being done to to try and help with that? I know Regional Summit was one. Yeah, Regional, regional Summit was, I mean, especially for the West Coast. Regional and interesting enough, like our Regional Summit, our registration opened on Tuesday and we have 300 teams registered for it. Like, like I do think it is helping meet the need of the West region who doesn't want to fly to, to Disney. Now, I, obviously Regional Summit will never be the summit, but, but that, that was interesting that like the, the specific strategy for adding that event, it, it, it paid off and it, um, it's, it's working in that way. All that we can do at this point is try to, pump more prestige and experience. You know, we introduced Summy last year. We had fake snow going outside. <laughs> yep. We increased the, the, the experience at the reveals to try to make those more exciting. Uh, and, you know, everything's more expensive than it used to be. And specifically Disney, um, it, Disney's inflation rate is, is through the roof. And I wish there was a way for us to get around that. And there, there just isn't. So all that we can do is try to pump more experience into the event that hopefully, um, hopefully gym owners, coaches, and athletes find the value in still attending. It is another part of the strategy of why we took youth out of the summit initially was to, to take the stress off them feeling like they needed to start going to Disney so early and so young. And now with the youth summit in a, um, in a less expensive market in Tampa, we've been able to do that. So we, you know, we've created these different product offerings to give people options if Disney wasn't right and hopefully add in enough amenities to Disney to just improve the experience for everybody overall. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's all you can do yeah. from, from a gym owner's perspective. All we can do is try and elevate the experience and make, 
make it worth the time going. My only two cents is for those that are listening, they've already heard this before, but make it more than about just competing. When you have so many opportunities, you're paying for a lot of things that aren't going to varsity. A lot of that money is going to Disney, the hotel, the park hopper passes. Like, yes, you're there to compete, but go to the freaking park. Let the kids be kids. Like, allow those things to happen. It will make it more worthwhile of a trip for your families. So take advantage of everything that's offered rather than just, no, we're going for a competition and we're going to practice six hours a day in the heat and Absolutely. Because chances, chance, I mean, hardly anybody ever places as high as they want to place of what their goal is. And so you've got to have something to fall back on to, to measure success again. Well, until you start giving everyone first place <laughs> and then we'll all be happy. We almost have enough divisions to make that happen. <laughs> you're you're uh, kind of accurate on that one. Unless you're in junior two, God <laughs> forbid, junior two or junior one, there's like 90,000 teams. Well, Justin, I really appreciate your time and it's been an absolutely wonderful conversation. I know I've learned a lot. I, I know our listeners have too. Do you have any any parting advice for gym owners? You've been in the industry for a long time. Gym owners or coaches, any last message or last piece of advice you really want them to know? Yes. And I've, I've actually thought about this a lot and I've talked about this a lot with uh, especially my friends in the gym industry. And that would be to do what you do best and stop trying to beat somebody else. In my opinion, if you if you run your business taking care of your kids and you know who you are and you know your place in the market and you know and you know what you serve your clients with, I would suggest stop reacting and responding to your competitors and and stick to what you know. And I, I think if 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 you put your business's best foot forward in that way uh, with integrity, then then the business speaks for itself. I could not love that or agree with that more. That is spot on. So thank you for that because that is absolutely what I try and pitch as well. So same page. I need to, I need to go listen to your podcast. Well, yeah. I mean, you're you're on it. You're you're missing out on all the great content. I don't know that I have time twice a week, but I'm going to try. <laughs> well, some of them are like 30 minute episodes, but yeah, you're probably not going to catch up on the, I think we're at almost 200 episodes now. So you're probably not going to go back that far. Well, congrats to you. I love what you do. I love your uh, sane and sound voice for the industry. Uh, we need more people like you out there with a level head. I appreciate that. Try to be. I, I think, you know, we're smarter because we don't have hair, right? It's the baldness <laughs> brings perspective. We're more vain than anything else at this point. Exactly. And I tell my kids, I'm like, yes, I have eyes in the back of my head. I can look off of the reflections, <laughs> right? So I see it, it bounces. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And everyone, I hope you enjoyed the episode. With that, we're going to catch you on the next one. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click the link in our description to apply. If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.